1: And Al Warren on KCA, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs.
0: You are back in the House of Mystery, and of course I'm Al Warren. Today we are talking tarot, and I've got with us Mr. Michael Hughes. Thank you for being here.
2: Hey, great to be here, as always.
0: Well, Michael, now um, I um, wanted to kind of do a good overview for tarot. And um, you're kind of the most trustworthy guy I know. Uh, And I say that because I've come across some tarot people before that were a little bit, uh, I don't know, how do you say, shady? Yeah. Well, you know, when you get into this kind of stuff, sometimes you
2: run into some shady people or, you know, even in my case, um, less shady than just people who make a lot of uh, very uninformed sort of proclamations and statements that aren't backed up by, you know, history. So um, I teach tarot, and one of the first things I teach in my classes is the history, because I think if you know the history, if you know where the cards come from, then you're not gonna, you know, make the sorts of mistakes that people make and propagate really just the the BS that's kind of been circulating around since forever.
0: So so let's let's start with that history. So what what was it that uh, was the beginning of, of what we call tarot?
2: Yeah well to to understand the beginning of tarot, you have to understand the beginning of cards, playing cards because that's where it came from. And uh, if we're cards, if you want to have cards, you need paper. And paper originated in China. So it's in China where we see the very first playing cards. And some of the um, the oldest uh, sort of decks that we know of, or, or what what turned into cards, were these little like sort of strips of, of paper or cardstock that were kind of like on like a, almost like a three ring binder you know we've seen uh, evidence of that sort of thing but interestingly to me is that even from the earliest decks that we know of the the chinese playing cards which when you know cards the paper and cardstock first originated and was and was produced in large quantities even those early cards they had four suits so through history, you know, for for hundreds and hundreds of years, there, there have always been four suits. So for some reason, you know, either because that's the way they were originally and that's the way they spread as they as cards circulated through different cultures or just because humans like dividing things into four, you know, like the four seasons or something like that or the four elements. Um, it's always been four four. Uh, four suits in, in in decks of cards. So, so what happened is these, the Chinese started making paper and then paper making was picked up elsewhere as it spread. And some of the earliest decks that we have are, uh, are Islamic decks. And there's one called the Mamluk, M-A-M-L-U-K, the Mamluk deck, the Mamluk deck Um, which originated uh, around the Mamluk dynasty was an Egyptian dynasty from about the middle of the 13th century to the early 16th century. So they were like a a really long, um, long lived dynasty um, in what is now Egypt. And they kicked the Crusaders out of the Holy Land. So that was kind of their, uh, their claim to fame. So the Mamluk deck is really beautiful. You can look this up and see, and see these incredible cards that were preserved from that era. And there are four suits, like I said earlier. There are scimitars, which were like curved swords, um, coins, polo sticks, and cups. And for those who know tarot, um, you know, you'll, you'll recognize those suits quite clearly now as the mamluk cards started spreading through southern europe and making their way north um those swords curved swords turned into straight swords because the europeans used straight swords the coins kind of stayed the same and the clubs stayed the same and the the cups came Uh, stay the same. And you can watch as they spread through Europe and eventually made it to Germany and France and England that they became more abstract, these suits. So like what was originally the scimitar and then the sword, by the time it got to Germany, those suits became spades, the spades that we know now. The coins became diamonds. The clubs became clubs, like the little, you know, sort of Clovery-looking club thing that we have now, and the cups became hearts. So you can see as these as these cards spread and people started making their own cards, they started making them abstract, and that's that's where we have our our you know very abstract symbols on our playing cards today. So that I love that. I, I teach that in my class, and I have a little chart. Uh, I pulled from a book by a guy named Robert Place, who wrote a really great book on tarot. He's a tarot historian and scholar, and you can you can see those symbols changing. Like in Switzerland, instead of a coin, it became a bell, and Germany as well. So nowadays, you can if you're playing cards in Germany, sometimes you'll see that instead of a coin or a diamond, you, it will be a bell, or instead of a spade. It will be an acorn. So various regions change the symbols around and things like that. Um, But the cards, but the, um, so essentially what happened, these cards are spreading and people are enjoying playing card games with them. And then around the 15th century, so in Northern Italy, around 1430 or something like that, uh, we start seeing a deck of, Playing cards with these symbols on them, but we see another suit entirely added to these cards. And people were just they were just playing around with this idea. They were developing new games. So they just started adding these, a different suit in some Cases it might be different birds, it might be flowers and things like that, or gods, Greek gods, things like that. It was because it was the Renaissance. It was a classical. Um, it was the Renaissance era in Europe, and so what happened is someone came up with the idea of adding these triumphs or trumps, trump cards, they're called, and they added this extra suit. And they came up with these really evocative, iconic images, and those are the images that transformed a little bit over time, but in a lot of ways stayed the same, that are the the 22 major cards of the tarot, sometimes called the major arcana. And those are those cards that really grab people like death and the hermit and the hanged man and judgment the sun and the moon, justice, those cards that are just really have become iconic. And we see them in movies, we see them in TV shows, we see them in books and art and things like that. So really, tarot cards come from playing cards. A lot of people for a long time were, were saying writing and writing in books that the playing cards came from the tarot and the tarot was first, but that's Completely untrue. Tarot grew out of playing cards and they it grew out of people playing games with regular playing cards with images on them and then deciding they wanted some extra cards. And this was the game that they were playing in northern Italy was called Tarocchi. And we don't know where that name came from or why that name in particular became associated with this game, but that's where it all started. So, you know, I remember, and again, like my, why I teach the history of Tarot first is because there's so much misinformation out there. I remember reading when I was younger that Tarot was Egyptian from it meant Royal road and, and things like that, but it's not, it's a, it's from Taroki. It's a, it's an Italian, um, word and it's an Italian game and it was a game like bridge where you, it's a trick taking game. It was called. So you would bet money and things like that. So it was, you know, it was a, a group game that people would play and they would bet money. And it was mostly played like in the courts and the royalty, Because, first of all, there was no mass production. There was no mass printing production back then. So these early decks, some of the earliest decks that we have and in existence from that era, um, are hand-painted. They're, like, really beautiful, hand-painted, individual decks. So, you know, it's not like... Joe Schmo the peasant you know can can get a deck of these cards and play with his family these this was a courtly pastime it was a pastime of the aristocracy
0: what what- what was the kind of the point but like so they were playing kind of um games and why would they add the trump cards like what was there a point to that or do we know
2: yeah, there was a point and and those cards um Another myth that brings up another myth that I debunk is that that the tarot is somehow, you know, pagan in its origin. It isn't. If you look at the earliest decks, they are Christian because the time um, was a Christian era. You know, the Roman church basically ruled Europe, most of Europe at least. And so the images on the cards... Like you'll see nowadays, you'll see the high priestess, you know, on the card. Well, the original tarot cards, it wasn't a high priestess. It was the Papess or the female pope. And the hierophant that you'll see in modern decks was the pope. And all the imagery, um, everything from like the last judgment um, to uh, the sun and the moon and the way these celestial uh, – objects and symbols are portrayed throughout the tarot it's christian iconography so i you know the, the fact that a lot of people today are, are scared of tarot because they think it's some weird you know pagan invention luring people into witchcraft and things like that it's not it's it's iconography and symbolism is 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 overtly christian because that's That's what it arose from, a Christian culture in northern Italy. So why did they um, put those cards in there? It was just to make the game more fun. And whereas, you know, nowadays, if we were designing our own tarot deck, we might use kind of cultural symbols and images and things like that drawn from our culture. That's why you see so many strange tarot decks today, like, you know, Um, The Walking Dead tarot. I'm just kind of making that up, you know, but there's but it probably exists because any sort of set of symbols or TV show or movie or fantasy series, people draw from those sorts of sources and make their own tarots. But the culture in that period was, you know, they didn't have TV. They didn't have. You know, lavish printed books and that in most people's homes. You know, the the imagery that you saw was going to church, um, so their lives were kind of wrapped up in this. You know, very Christian, very Catholic mythology. So that's why the images on on those cards were very religious, um, and, and for for the most part, the imagery draws. Now there are like you know there are some at, There are some kind of pagan elements, perhaps, because during the the late Middle Ages and the early Renaissance, a lot of people were getting interested in the, you know, the the Greek classical culture and Roman classical culture and things like that. Uh, But for the most part, you know, tarot, as it originally was created, was a game played for fun and for betting money. And winning, <laughs> and the iconography was explicitly um, Christian.
0: So, so how did it become what it is today, and how people use it? Like, what, where was the change from just playing uh, kind of uh, some sort of entertainment or game?
2: Well, um, tarot was played as a game, and only as a game, as far as we know, up until about. Uh, up until about the eighteenth century. So for a very long time it was just a game. And as a matter of fact, if you in some places in Europe today, including um, Italy, people still play taroki. So this game is still played. And there's even an app you can get on your phone, of course, <laughs> to learn how to to learn how to learn how to play Taroki. But it's kind of complicated. Um, I never really wrapped my head around it, and I never could get, <laughs> you know, I never could get people to play. Um, you know, they would much rather play regular card games than try to learn this kind of obscure Italian variant of, uh, of a card <laughs> game. Too right, Exactly. Um, but but what happened is. Um, during the, like the early, to, early um, 18th century uh, up through the next, eh, you know, 75, 80 to 100 years, um, Freemasons, Freemasons are the reason that we have tarot as a divination tool today. And uh, because in that era, a lot of Freemasons were very much into esotericism. Um, there's not as much of that today. Like Freemasonry is kind of a more social club than anything. Um, but back in the day, um, you know, a lot of wealthy men, aristocracy, um, who had a lot of time on their hands because, you know, they didn't have to just go to work every day like most of us (laughs) do. They could sit around and debate, you know, esoteric ideas, alchemy and, um, and Kabbalah and just and Egyptian history and hieroglyphics and things because the Rosetta Stone had not been found yet. So people projected all sorts of stuff onto Egyptians and Egyptian hieroglyphics. So some of these uh, Freemasons, um, you know, really deep into this esoteric, Western esotericism very broadly, Someone found the cards. Um, his name was um, Antoine Cor de Gébelin. And he was, a, um, he was a French, Swiss, Protestant pastor. But he was also a Freemason, like a lot of the learned gentlemen of the day. And he saw this countess playing a card game. She's, he saw her playing tarot. And he was blown away. He's looking at these images and studying these images. And he's like, wait a minute, this must have come from ancient Egypt because they thought everything came from it. all <laughs> Western esotericism. These guys were just like building these ornate mythologies about Egypt that were not at all grounded in reality. So he wrote a book um, Basically called the primitive world and its relation to the modern world, really long, um, complicated title. But this book said that tarot had come from ancient Egypt, and it it caught on fire among these these um, these uh, European gentlemen Freemasons who love this stuff. So they ate they devoured it. He also was the first to say he made. He, he noticed that there were 22 of these tarot trump cards or major cards. And he said, oh, guess what? There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. <laughs> so therefore, what must have happened is the Jews got their hands on the tarot cards. And the tarot, he's, he just started building this elaborate story. Like, well, clearly these 22 images were like ancient wisdom. And then the Jews got their hands on it when they were, you know, enslaved in Egypt and they add, they added the Kabbalah to it. So added Kabbalistic, um, meanings to these cards. So, you know, these guys just built this really elaborate, um, mythology and it, it caught fire. Um, and it just started spreading and these so essentially, These esoterically inclined Freemason guys took a bunch of cards that were simply used to play a game and made them into this, like, repository of ancient wisdom. And people believed it because they didn't have, you know, they didn't have scholarship to, to prove otherwise. So this idea just caught on and it just spread and spread and spread. And the idea that the tarot is the ancient book of Thoth, you know, that the god Hermes, who spread wisdom, ancient Hermetic wisdom. And, the, you know, it was like a snowball. This thing just kept rolling and rolling and rolling and picking up all sorts of, you know, esoteric stuff that people would pack onto on the snowball. And it just kept going and going and going, um, until when it really took off. Um, and, and one man who really made a difference in this, his name was Alphonse Louise Constant. He was French. He changed his name to Eliphas Levy because, um, he was a Kabbalist. He was a, um, he used a Christianized Jewish Kabbalah and, um, And he was like a real mystically inclined guy. He was a Freemason. He was a ceremonial magician too. And he wrote a book um, that's still in print today. It's called Transcendental Magic. And it kind of, it wove the Kabbalah and angel magic and ceremonial magic and alchemy and astrology, just crammed it all together and kind of made it make sense. And he decided the tarot was also part of the system. And it's like in a lot of books of magic, there are, some books are entirely made up of tables of correspondences, they're called. So if you buy these ancient magic grimoires and stuff, it'll tell you like, oh, well, this flower is associated with the sun and um, this particular stone and things like that. Well, Eliphas Levy kind of was like, the man who pulled all Western esoteric traditions together and like crammed it into these old charts and things. And he, he, he pulled the tarot into that. And what he, he influenced a group called the golden dawn, the hermetic order of the golden dawn. I don't know how, if you've talked about them on your show before, but um, without this kind of strange um, but extremely influential uh english british um, hermetic brotherhood, or I should say brotherhood and sisterhood, we probably wouldn 't be even using tarot cards today. Um, this was a group that kind of grew out of esoteric Freemasonry and then became this this really uh powerfully influential secret occult order like around the, the, I think, 1888 was when the first temple was established. Um, William Butler Yeats, the Irish poet, was a member. Um, Dion Fortune, the famous occultist, was a member. And the bad boy of occultism, Alistair Crowley. Um, he was also part of the Golden Dawn. So all, like, modern magical traditions that, kind of grew out of those older Hermetic traditions come from the Golden Dawn. So like um people who practice Thelema, uh, follow Alistair Crowley's um religion, his revealed religion of Thelema. Um it all goes back to the Golden Dawn. Like it was just like the cream of the crop, the intelligentsia of the end of the um nineteenth uh, century British yeah, I mean, it just drew in, like, poets and artists and uh, theater people and things like that, writers. It really was a, a tremendously um, creative and um, just influential order. Like, all modern Western magical traditions pretty much can, kind of sprung from the golden dawn. And they took the tarot cards, and they even went further. You know, they, like, kind of at the root of the Golden Dawn magical system is the tarot. The tarot and its cabalistic correspondences really are like the basis with the, with the whole Golden Dawn magical tradition was built around.
0: As we start getting into this and, and people like Aleister Crawley and stuff, it starts being kind of an occult thing. How did it turn into something that people consider so evil or um, consider it to be you know, something of of witchcraft or something like that.
2: Right. Well, I think um, so. What happened is the the Golden Dawn, um, out of the Golden Dawn came um, two individuals, Arthur Edward Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith. So, for most people, when they think of tarot, they think of the what's sometimes known as the Wait Wait Smith. People call it now the Rider Waite, It was known as because Rider was the publisher and Waite was the kind of the author and the mastermind behind this tarot deck. It's the one you see in movies and TV all the time. Right. And uh, Pamela Coleman Smith was the artist, and she's a fascinating character in her own right. I've, do, I've done some talks just on Pamela Coleman Smith, the artist of the Rider-Waite, or we like to call it the Smith-Waite or the Waite-Smith deck, just so she kind of gets credit because, you know, it's the art that draws people in. It's the art that really makes the cards what they are. So that rider weight deck that's the one you see all the time um, in movies and films, and it's the images, you know, that, you know, you open up the Led Zeppelin album and there's the Hermit, you know, it kind of, it's kind of drawn from the, the Smith Waite deck and that started getting, um, that was first published, I think, 1910 or something. Um, and it didn't really kind of blow up in popularity um, until like the 1960s, when suddenly these decks became mass produced and they were available um, in the U S and across Europe where a lot of people in Europe still use um, some of the older decks and Marseille um, tarot they're called. And that's kind of my favorite because I'm a kind of a historical tarot buff, but it's the, it's the Rider Waite or Smith Waite deck that really kind of blew up in popular culture. And I think the reason it's associated with kind of witches and things like that is just this people we, People didn't have the facts, so they made up all sorts of stories. So a lot of people would say that, and many still believe this, and will tell you this, uh, that the tarot came from Egypt and it was kind of carried by the Gypsies, or more more commonly known as the Roma, or appropriately known as the Roma today. But it was all this, the idea that Gypsies, because Gypsies were associated with fortune telling and divination. Um, that's where a lot of that bogus history comes from is people associating, uh, and, and most, most of the Roma used regular playing cards because that's what they had. So they did use cards, but they weren't tarot cards, but and so in the sixties, these decks start becoming available and there's like a, there's like an occult explosion. Um, the 60s and 70s, but it really got moving in the 60s, like the age of Aquarius and people feeling liberated from traditional religion and wanting to explore alternative spiritual systems and things like that. Um, So, you know, witchcraft became popular and occultism became really popular. Occult bookstores started popping up in major cities like New York City and San Francisco and things like that. And this kind of birth would later became the new age, you know, what we, a lot of us know is the new age, but tarot was a big part of that. You know, people were fascinated by these, you know, these powerful images with, with strange symbols in them. And because the, the Rider-Waite, which became the most, the most approachable and easy to find deck a, across the United States and, 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 and in, in the UK as well and in some parts of Europe too.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with shopify get a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com work shopify.com work ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices
2: Um, because the, that Smith deck came out of the Golden Dawn tradition, it had occult symbols in it. Like instead of the coins in the older decks, there were pentacles that had pentagrams, and that immediately triggers a lot of people, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you <laughs> see a pentagram, you know, some people just start having palpitations. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so because the deck had kind of occult symbols in it, and it was embraced by this new sort of new agey, occult um, awakening in the United States in particular uh, it, the, the cards lent themselves to all sorts of interpretations and um, even though there's still a lot of Christian symbolism because Arthur Edward Waite was a he still considered himself kind of a Christian even though he practiced magic so um, he didn't like the magic stuff in the Golden Dawn he didn't like the ceremonial magic he kind of he he kind of believed that you know, prayer was was more important, but but still, that studying these, the the Kabbalah and alchemy and astrology and things like that, he fit that in with Christianity. But if you look at like the Ace of Cups in the Waitsmith Smith deck, it's there's the Paraclete or a dove with the the consecrated host in its mouth coming down into a chalice, you know, and there's crosses all over it too. So, you know, for as much as people think that, the you know, that the the Rider-Waite or the waitsmith smith deck is like just some, you know, occult tome of wisdom, there's still plenty of Christian iconography in it because it came, again, out of that original Christian iconography and symbolism. So the short answer would be, I would say, that that the tarot became associated with this kind of booming occult, um, you know, and the paranormal and things like that. I mean, all that stuff really kind of blew up in the sixties and then rolled through the seventies as well. Um, that's, you know, I'm a kid of the seventies. So I, you know, I, I remember seeing tarot decks sold in, you know, some of the kind of, you know, stranger stores that I would go to and some of the early new age bookstores. And, And, you know, books on witchcraft were like in the little paperback, mass market paperback racks and things like that in in the 70s. So this stuff really blew up. And that's why I think um, tarot was part of that revolution, that alternative spiritual revolution. And and it it became associated with all those other elements, witchcraft in particular, because tarot never really had anything to do with witchcraft until – like the 60s and 70s, when people who called themselves witches, which is, you know, kind of a modern thing that began in like the 19, late, mid to late 1940s in England. Um, That's, that's the witchcraft that exists now really kind of originated then. Um, But, but people, people who were telling fortunes naturally took up the tarot and, and started, you know, telling, telling fortunes and using it for divination and, and here we are
0: mm. now. Are people still using it the same way as they were, let's say, a hundred years ago? Um, yeah, in some ways, yes.
2: Um, when when it be- started to to be used for divination and it it, it began to spread through Europe, um, a lot of the um, a lot of the European breeders. You still just use those 22 major cards, the ones with like the real vivid pictures on them, um, and don't use the other, the rest of the cards, the other um, 56 cards of the of the deck. They just use those 22 major cards because the uh, it, first of all, it's a little easier to tell stories with those pictures, like the Hermit, or the Lovers, and the Hanged Man, things like that. It just it's it's easier to to tell stories, and that's what tarot reading is. It's a back and forth kind of storytelling exercise. Um, but but the the Wait Smith deck that was a little different because each of those cards, instead of like the instead of um, the three of cups, it would actually have a picture with three cups and people doing something. So each of the each of those minor cards, which in the older decks were just you know two coins, five cups, six swords, in this Wade Smith deck, there are pictures. There are people doing things. Sometimes really vivid pictures, like the three of swords card, is three swords like piercing a human heart, um, and it's so you know it's it's a it's a lot more evocative than just, you know, three swords sitting on a card by themselves. So that's what's really changed the way that a lot of people read, especially in the U.S. Because the smith Waite deck had just all these scenes on them, which opened up 78 possibilities versus just using those 22. But I think, you know, even some of the earliest um, uses of divination, you know, going back to like the 18th century, when people started playing around with these cards in a way that was more than just a game. I think, and my theory is, and I think it's probably fairly well supported is that whenever you have a whole bunch of images, you know, whether it's, it's playing cards or, um, you know, a book or something like that, um, they lend themselves to to thinking about is in a, in a, in the divination sense. So let's say bibliomancy, like people used to take a Bible and ask a question, like flip to a page in the Bible and, you know, pop their finger down and read that particular quote. So it's hard for me to imagine, even though there's not a lot in the historical record, that these cards were always used in some divinatory way you know because there's such powerful evocative images and games lend themselves to chance and probability and what's going to come next you know what card are you going to turn over next and that oh that kind of randomness and that mix of images always like that that does something to people you know like you're like waiting to see what that next card is that kind of triggers a, a, a sense of of like fate if that makes sense if if you know what i mean yeah so i feel like these cards have always been used in that way but there's not a lot in the historical record again until the like the freemasons started you know getting involved and and playing around in some of these esoteric and occult orders but but people i think divination has always been with us you know i mean back to the you know the Greeks talking about you watch how you know how the birds fly across the sky or something like that. I mean we're naturally creatures who who you know we're, we seek messages we seek omens um and when we have these like beautiful cards with these like really powerful images on them you know it 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 just it makes it that much more of you know an intense experience when, you know, you flip over the death card. I mean, people who read tarot know that, you know, that's not, that doesn't mean you're going to die. You know, most people would say it's change or the situation coming to an end, that sort of thing, but it's still a powerful image. You know, there's the grim reaper um, staring at you or the lovers, you know, when you're just thinking about someone that you may be romantically interested in, you flip that lover's card That, that, that does something to us. You know, even if we're not using the cards in a traditional divination sense, that's the way humans are. That's the way we, we react to images. We start making stories and relating those images to our lives.
0: So what, what can I expect if, if I go to uh, a tarot reader, someone that, that does that? What, what can I truly expect out of that?
2: Well, that is a huge question because there's so many different styles of reading, you know, um, it, it's, some people use these elaborate spreads of like, you know, 12 cards and wherever you put the card that has a specific meaning and things like that, it, it, it can get really complicated. I mean, there's entire books on different spreads of cards. Um, and there's also different ways people approach it. Like I don't, I don't necessarily, when I do readings for people, I tell them, I'm not telling you your future. You know, that's not what this is about. This is about the two of us sitting together and looking at some really powerful symbols and talking about what's going on in your life right now and seeing the patterns in these cards. Like, do these cards suggest ideas or thoughts or perhaps ways to approach? A situation in your life or the way forward so that's my kind of approach but some people will you you will go to a reader and they will say that they're telling you your future i mean they will they will be a you know quote fortune teller um and that's you know that's perfectly valid if that's what they like to do and if that's what the person going to them wants or expects but there's just such a the, the the field has gotten so huge that you can go to one particular reader who might use a particular deck that might be a, you know, Wiccan themed deck. So they're going to give you like a, you know, kind of a Wiccan style reading or, or use symbols aligned with that. There are, there are people who you will go to a reading with and they will claim that they are channeling spirits or they're, or it's their spirit guides who are influencing the cards. There are some people that have a purely psychological approach, and it's just like, hey, let's let's see what comes out of these pictures, and we'll talk back and forth about it. Um, some people um, believe that the cards have energy to them. You know, I don't. Um, I think it's it's cardboard and um, and ink. Uh, but some people, you know, they go to elaborate. Uh, ways of like cleansing their cards yeah. with salt or smoke and stuff like that, and that's cool. You know, I don't, I don't say don't do that. It's just not my thing. Um, so, it, it, I would say if you're looking for a reader, like talk to people, ask if you can uh, ask how they like what their style of reading is because you might not want to go to someone who says, well, I'm going to lay out your whole future for the rest of your life for you. You know, you might, you might not want to go to someone who, who has a particular approach um, or particular religious or spiritual approach, you know? So really it's kind of like, I kind of look at it as auditioning people, um, you know, like ask uh, about, uh, how they read and and what their style of reading is, and if it sounds like it clicks with you, then give it a shot. Um, there are so many readers out there now that I, I mean it's 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 overwhelming the number of people who even professionally read cards. Not to mention just people who do it like for fun or a hobby. It's it's exploded in popularity. So you you will never run out of of people who will read your cards for you. But I think it's always good to find someone that you like and that you click with and that you kind of, you're, you're sort of spiritual or even, you know, even if you're more of like a psychologically oriented person, you might like that kind of reader. If you're a more sort of new agey person and you're, you're into channel beings and spirit guides and things like that, then, then you could find a reader who kind of, you know, has that flavor of reading. So it's, and it's all over the place. Um, and there is no one right way or wrong way to do it. I, the way I tend to do my readings, um, if I'm doing short readings with people, I use three cards. I, and I only use the 22 major cards. I, I, I used to read with like the Wade Smith deck and other decks that have all those other scenes on the cards. But there's a weird paradoxical thing that happened is when I started using just those 22 major cards, my readings got so much better. It's like paradoxical because you would think, well, you've got this whole deck of 78 cards. Why would you just use 22? But um, that's the way it works for me. So I often do readings with three cards. And I will have someone, if they have a question, we can, they can ask the question. We can look at the cards and see what the cards suggest. Um, or sometimes a lot of people, especially if they don't know you and they're coming for a reading for the first time, I say, well, let's just throw some cards down and see, see what comes up. So I'll put three cards down, maybe four, depending on the time. And I'll just start talking. I'll say, well, this is the, well, we've got the, um, the emperor here. That's usually like a man, often an older man, someone with power in your life, like father figure, a boss, etc. Et. And here we've got the lovers, and well, that can mean that can mean you know a couple or people in love. And I just you know you just I just go on and on, and I talk about some things. And I say, does any of that click? Does does any of that, and, and in the position of the cards too? Like I I look at it as almost like a little mini comic book. You know, like, each card is like a frame of a comic book, and it tells a story. Mm. And it's amazing with three cards. Like, I can have a conversation with someone for, you know, 30, 40 minutes sometimes and get some really interesting uh, material out of it. And that's what blows my mind. Like, you know, I'm a pretty scientific guy. um, But at the same time, I have to admit that these cards doing this thing we, that we call a tarot reading um, bringing your intention to this experience asking some questions maybe or, or having a question in mind but just bringing your intention and to these random evocative kind of powerful images and mixing them all up and pulling a few out at random and having a conversation with someone across the table it's magic you know it's 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 really interesting stuff comes out of that. And I don't know how. You know, I don't think I'm particularly psychic or anything. I think anyone can do this. I teach people to do this and then they do it and they go, Wow, I can do this. And I'm not psychic and they're not psychic or maybe we're all psychic and we don't know it. I don't know. But you don't have but you don't have to be psychic to to put some images on the table and talk about them with somebody. And talk about how these images could relate to their life. It works. And crazy stuff comes out of it. Like weirdly accurate details about what's going on in someone's life. And I have absolutely no idea how that happens. But if you start doing this, you'll find that it happens. Like it happens a lot. And that's the fascination of this exercise that we call reading tarot cards.
0: So So, when it happens, um, so in essence, um, the person using the tarot cards to do the reading could be using it from their Christian point of view or from their pagan point of view or Egyptian, or just no point of view at all, uh, considering a religion, but they still use the cards, and it still creates the uh the outcome.
2: Exactly, exactly. It doesn't matter. What your spiritual or religious beliefs, if you have any at all, if you sit down and play with these images and sit, you can, you can read for yourself too. That's another myth I, I always run into. Oh, you can't read for yourself. Of course you can read for yourself. Like, how are you going to know how to read for someone else? Like, you look, ask a question, take out a couple cards and and start seeing patterns and and thinking in symbols and uh, having a conversation with yourself i think it's critical to to read for yourself and to get to know the cards and to get to know how those the meaning of those cards can change through time and and in different situations so yeah it's a you can be a you can be someone who has absolutely zero belief in divination or magic, or occultism, or paganism, or, or whatever. I mean, you could be a. a I, I did a reading for a doctor um, once, and this guy, his uh, his family, sort of had a party for him, and they said, "Oh, it would be kind of fun to have a tarot reader." So they hired me to do it, and I sat down with this guy, and um, and he said, "You know, I you know I don't believe in any of this stuff." And I said, "That's that's fine. You don't have to believe in anything. It's just." and experience and let's just see where it goes. And I started reading these cards for him and some of his family members started kind of coming over and hanging and listening and everything. And then more and more of them came over and I was watching this guy. I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of saying things that, that come up and it moved him deeply. You know, he, his, his eyes grew teary and he thanked me. He said, you know, I, I, I don't believe in this, but that was a really powerful experience for me. Thank you. And his family were, were really engaged in the process. And so that told me a lot that told me that you don't have to believe in all the woo that gets associated with, with tarot cards. You can just view it as, as a, as a conversation the two people are having while looking at these beautiful evocative symbolic pictures, almost like therapy in a way. And for a lot of people, they go to tarot readers because they're having problems. That's that is why peop, most people go to a tarot reader. Now, some just like to go to get insights into their life and they regularly go to readers and things like that. But a lot of times people will say, I'm stuck. Um, my love life is, is, you know, in the toilet and my my job's falling apart, and I just don't know what to do, what the heck? I'll, I'll, I'll go to some sort of psychic reader, and they find a tarot card reader. And so for a lot of people, that that experience is kind of therapeutic. But at the same time, I draw really, really firm lines in my readings, and I encourage other readers to. I don't do medical questions. I'm not a doctor, right? <laughs> If I, I I can't put down a couple cards on the table and tell you that you know your your appendix is going to burst or, or you need a heart transplant or and I don't do pregnancy questions, um, for I think obvious reasons but a lot of readers do that, yeah. and I think look what if you say this birth is going to be absolutely perfect it's going to be a beautiful boy he's going to grow up to, to be a, an astronaut or something, and then you know. God forbid, the pregnancy terminates somehow, and that person. How would you know? How can you, as a reader, look that person in the eye if you've told them something like that, and something tragically happens? I, I just. I don't do it. I advise other readers not to to do that. Medical pregnancy. Um, I also don't like when people come to me and say, I'd like to get into the head of my boyfriend. Like, what's, what's he thinking? Is he cheating on me? I mean, that's, that's one of the most common questions. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I don't even have to put the cards down. If someone says, I think my boyfriend or my girlfriend's cheating on me, they are.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, th- if, if you have those suspicions, I mean, maybe not. But if you're worried that something's wrong, Almost all the time, yeah, there is something wrong. So uh, I, I don't do that. I don't read for uh, other people in the third person. But what I do say is, are oh, you having trouble in the relationship? Let's put some cards down and see if they suggest anything you can do. I always try to, you know, give agency back to the person that I'm reading for. And I'll, I, and if someone is really in a crisis, I, I have a list of, Mental health hotlines and and things like that. Let's say you don't need a tarot reading; like you need like to talk to a professional that can help you out. I, I I'm not that person.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and so, if they, if they yeah. have a relationship thing and they and you pull over the death card, uh oh. Um.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I think it's okay to like talk about relationships. And let's say the death card does come up, that might not mean that the relationship is is dead or the relationship is, is that could mean that the relationship as it was is dying or coming to an end, but that that could mean a a positive new change. And that might depend on the other cards that, that also show up in the reading as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I I'm happy that people ask questions about things, but I never say like, this is the way it is. I say, these are some possibilities for you to think about. Right. And I always put push it back on the person that this is about you, where you are now, not the future you necessarily. This is you right now. These these car- Let's look at these cards and talk about where you are right now and where you want to go. And maybe these cards will give us maybe a little roadmap maybe, or a little, a little kick or a nudge in a particular direction. But always – It's the person's own agency and volition. They are in charge of their life. And I, as a reader, am there to help them get better insight. Like tarot can be seen as a mirror in a way. So they're looking at these cards, but what they're really seeing is themselves reflected in those cards. That's that's the ideal metaphor for me. And I'm just helping them by, by pulling out maybe some meaning or some possibilities and throwing it back at them and see how they react and what they think about it. And they feed back to me too. When I'm in a reading, I say, does that card make you think of anything? And I learn from that. And sometimes that's, that's just exactly what we need for that, that sort of breakthrough to happen.
0: Wow. Totally interesting. Um, Well, now, so are you still doing classes and things like that for people right now?
2: Thanks to COVID, I stopped doing my in-person classes. Okay. But I'm starting my first in-person class again. I'm so excited because I've done a lot of Zoom classes. Um, People can go to my website, michaelmhughes.com, and, like, sign up for my newsletter, and you'll get all my classes when they happen, the Zoom classes, uh, if you live in the Baltimore, D.C. area, my in-person classes I'm doing again. I occasionally will travel if someone wants to host me and do some classes like at a store or, or you know, some kind of center or something like that. I do that as well. But uh, I'm really excited to do the in-person classes because there's just something about that. Because at the end, I usually do them in three chunks, the first set is the history the second is getting to know the cards and the third section of these classes is when people read for each other and it's hard to do that via zoom um, yeah you know the breakout rooms don't necessarily lend themselves to that you so and it's just there's something about the in-person connection when you're sitting a, so i have my students pair up when we are in person and they read for each other, and they 're usually terrified like i you're telling like I, this is my third class, and you 're telling me to read for the and i say just use just do it the way i I, I talk about and and they do it, and they 're blown away, and they most of the time they 're shocked at how much fun they're having, but also kind of the the good, meaningful stuff that 's coming out of their their very first reading that they 've done, so uh, yeah i i, I um I encourage every anyone who's interested in my online classes just to go to my website and sign up for, for my newsletter and, and you'll get uh, the next, I think the next online series of classes that I'm doing will be in March. So that gives people plenty of time to think about it and plan their schedules accordingly. And, and uh, wow. it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fun. It's, I, I love, teaching I love doing readings I like having people read for me it's endlessly fascinating and it just opens a window into into other people and I think so many of us have kind of missed that during during this this global pandemic where we've been just dealing with people through screens so much it's just such a a magical experience to sit down physically with someone and take these cards out and talk to each other. It's, it's just, I think so many of us are missing that.
0: Yeah. Well, fascinating. We will have that up on our website as well. So people listening can find you if they uh, don't remember just one click. Wow. Great. It's it's been been great. Um, We've been talking about tarot and our guest is Michael Hughes. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. As always, um, bring me back anytime (laughs) I I love the show and uh, I I love our conversation so
1: to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com show's over for now was it as good for you as it was for me well good night this has been a production of something weird media Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now.